You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Andy, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's wonderful to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Brian. You were sharing with me your experience about moving by faith from New Zealand to the United States, and I would love to hear more about that, because it's a a real faith story for sure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Fear, faith, sometimes it's really mixed up. But uh, yeah, here's the story. So I'm from New Zealand, and uh, we were, my wife and I, four children, at the time they were two, four, six, and eight years old, and I was working as a uh, new business manager with a big agricultural bank and very involved in local church and never ever saw ourselves leaving the location where we were. But we had this real unsettledness on the inside. Like something's changed. Like something's got to change. This, like, is there, it, like, just doesn't sit with my, the, the business that I was working with. It, it just seemed like something wasn't satisfying me. And so we, th- we thought, okay, let's have a talk to our senior leader. We're very much on the leadership team of a local church, very involved in international community development, otherwise known as missions. Um, so I was like, is that going to increase? It was increasing. Perhaps there's a, a role there and maybe that's where God's leading. So I spoke to my senior leader and said, look, is there a future here? Is, is this something that is opening up? Is this on your heart? And his comment was, look, nothing's going to change here for three years, so I'm not really sure where you would fit. So I was like, okay, it's not that. So I took a role to be in – that was when I took the role to be the new business manager with the with the bank. And that was taking me away from family, away from all these different things. And it, it's like, God, this doesn't sit right. So it's like, it's not it's not church, it's not business. Like, oh, God, what on, what on earth else is there? And I happened to be at the same time traveling – uh, into this particular country with a buddy and I was just processing with him and said, I'm just not sure how this works and it's not this and it's not that. And he asked me, Andy, what if God is leading you to a geographic change? And I just never, ever, you know how we have so much have these biases or and a set of structured views of how God leads or what he's saying or where we are. And I'd never looked outside of that box or grid. So I came home, wrote down in my journal, God, is our future in this location? And within one week, he spoke so, so clearly to me and my wife, independently of leaving everything and going to a new country. So the Lord confirmed it separately with your wife and yourself. Absolutely. I mean, this is a very significant decision, obviously. We're four little children, new country. Uh, I mean, it was so clear. I, I wouldn't want to make any decision like that as one person. God's called us to be two together as one. So it's very, very important uh, to hear God together. So literally that looked like me. Uh, I wrote down the question in my journal. So so for anyone listening, this was the simple processes. Now, what's the question that I was asking God? Is our future in this location? Two days later, I was reading a children's Bible story to my four-year-old son, and he chose the story. And this time, he'd always choose Samson and David and Daniel. 
But this time he chose a different story. I just innocently read it to him, not expecting God to speak to me from a children's Bible. <laughs> and I, I read the words, get, and God spoke to Abraham and said, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Oh, my gosh. Like, I was shocked. I was like, God, is that, are you, are you, is that really? Is that, is that like, I'm processing, is this me? Is this God? Yeah. It's a children's Bible story. I didn't expect God to speak now, and but I wrote it down. Two days later, we had a visiting speaker. Uh, I also led worship and play guitar. And, um, we had this visiting speaker with the group, and I was goofing around with some friends. And then he opened up Joshua 1 verse 2. Now arise, you and these people with you, and cross over the Jordan, the line of limitations that you've set on yourself was the context, and cross into the land of risk and promise. And I was just stunned. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, looking around, is, is it? Is he just speaking to me? And then it was my wife. So I shared this with my wife. And uh, I'm thinking, God's saying, to leave we're going to a new country like I, like where and when and and my wife said well i need to hear as well so she was actually a couple of days after that was she was actually on crutches for an injury she'd done to an ankle she was hobbling around and said okay god will give me a scripture and instantly she has this reference just like a thought pop in her head jeremiah three fourteen, and nobody knows what jeremiah three fourteen. so she sits down and I can still so clearly see where she sat beside the fire on a chair, a black chair, put her Bible on her lap, open it up to that passage and begins to read it and then just begin to weep. And it says, literally, I will take you, one from a city, two from a family, and I'll lead you to Zion and set shepherds over you according to my heart, will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So that was like, I guess this is happening. Yeah, so you've got that innocent Bible story, and the Lord just emblazons that word and awakens it in your heart and mind. And then you're just hanging out with some friends, and this gentleman reads this scripture from Jeremiah, and then your wife says, show me, show me, Lord. And then the Lord just drops this reference, Jeremiah 3.14, and God explodes that in her heart and mind. So, Wow, talk about incredible confirmations, huh? Yeah. I, I mean, yes. Like in hindsight, absolutely. The, the second one was Joshua 1 verse 2. Oh, excuse me. Yes, clearly God speaking. But for me, I was as then like aware and when. And I had so much doubt. Like, am I, is, am I crazy? Is this really God? And just processing all these different things. And as I went through that, I... I started, we, we processed first as a family. I started to fast and pray, like, oh, my gosh, this is so serious. Like now I'd, I'd look back and I'd say, Andy, just relax. God's speaking. God's leading. It's going to be okay. But I was personally struggling with this. And I, I had five, no fewer than five different mature, wise counselors. That's somebody that's got wrinkles and a spirit of encouragement yeah. <laughs> as in maturity. They've walked with God for a long time. You know that they'll speak in, you know that they're going to speak the truth, not just tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. And so I, I found these five different people and I just submitted to them. Um, hey, this is what I'm hearing God say. I think he's saying to, to, you know, leave. I, I'm hearing that the timing is now. 
And by then we just processed and the thing that lit up was uh, just as we were even processing, talking with my wife about where would we even go? And one of us mentioned, well, there's this ministry school in Reading, California with this guy, Bill Johnson. And it was as she said that, it's like Jesus said, my words are spirit in their life. It's like a light bulb. It's like, oh, my gosh, which was, it wasn't like, woohoo. It was like, oh, my gosh, what, 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 how? <laughs> All of those questions. Mm-hmm. But as I submitted that process to these wise counselors, including our pastor at the time, all of them said, Oh, this is obvious. This is God. You've got to do this. So that, that was how it all got. So it's not hearing God. Uh, so clearly from his word, uh, direction being led by spirit, confirmed by wise counsel. So good. And then it's like, okay, this is God. We've got to do this. So what happened next? So we applied, uh, got accepted for the ministry school. So we figured, okay, God, you're sending us to the USA. I don't really know why. But we just know the first step is to do this ministry school. I want a long-term plan. I want, you know, what then? And how are we going to pay for ourselves? None of <laughs> he did not say any of that. It's just step one, <laughs> do this. Right. And it's like the story of Joshua when they crossed the Jordan. The ark, they were given the ark and they were told, I think it's to 500 or 1,000 cubits. Like put the ark ahead of you. And you follow it, but keep a thousand cubits between you and the ark because you haven't been this way before. And it was like, hang on a moment. I know where I'm going. It's like, it's pretty obvious. There's a river and we can see a city on the other side. We can, it's pretty obvious where we're going, but it's that point. No, follow the presence of God. Don't lean on what you think you know. Just one step at a time. Trust me. Mm. And, mm-hmm. um, so I'm like, okay, well, we need accommodation. And I remember that was even crazy. No one would rent to us. It's like, oh, you're foreigners. This was before. It's very different now in Reading, you know, 12 years later. But at the time, it was, oh, my gosh, it was crazy. So we could not find a place. So we end up securing a rental vacation house for two weeks, trusting that once we got over here, we're paying cash up front, but still no one would take it. And uh, so we, we get over here. Well, before we get over, 10 days out from leaving New Zealand, 10 suitcases, four little kids, I get word from this rental place that, sorry, we've got a public plumbing problem and uh, we're going to have to cancel your reservation. Oh, that's beautiful. And I'm like, <laughs> I am so not telling my wife. This is so stressed out in this move and everything already, let alone to say, oh, we don't have a place to go to. So I'm like, and I was on a business trip. What, God, what do I do? How do I do this? Doesn't make sense. All of that stuff. I just remember getting up early in the morning and saying, God, I ask you to guide my eye. And I looked up on the website and I saw this just was highlighted or just stood out to me or caught my attention was this ad, a, um, an ad, advertisement for a, I think it was a two bedroom, you know, part of a duplex. Fully furnished. I'm like, okay, well, we just squeeze into that. Maybe that's so. I reach out, email the the person that had that, and they respond within 30 minutes saying, "Hey, it's already taken, but you can come and stay with me." <laughs> and I'm like, these crazy Americans. What, <laughs> what, what do you mean? What do you mean come and stay? There's six of us. My wife and I have four kids, and it's a single mum with uh, two of her own kids. She emails back, I know my limits. I could do two weeks. So we, complete stranger, Reading, California, we fly 
what, a 13 hour flight plus driving and we land and she literally has her assistant give us the keys to the house because she wasn't even there at the time. We ended up staying with her for I think three, three and a half weeks. It's just this, oh my gosh, it's been a journey of faith and trust and risk and doubt and everything in between. She let you stay there three, three and a half weeks. What happened after that with the accommodations? That gave us then time to apply for a bunch of places while we were here. So we got to meet people in person rather than just being virtual. And so we secured a property, which then rented a place for 12 months and then rented a different place for 12 months. And then obviously since then, things have changed significantly on the, on the residential places. We've now been here for more than a decade. When you got to America, you went to Bethel, is that correct? Yeah. And yes. what was it that you applied for? What did you connect yourself with in the ministry? So there, there was a, it's a ministry school. It's called Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. And literally there were 800 students in that first year with me. And they ranged from international. They ranged from 18 years old to 70 years old. From from kids to very mature, successful business people, such a range. So, so I did the first year program, and it was it was wonderful. Like it was like a vacation when you're working and serving, <laughs> and you've got little kids. You know, you don't get time to just relax and be in that kind of an environment for four days, four half days a week. And the homework is to read books about faith and Jesus and who you are in him. It, it just is, was an amazing, like people are complaining about homework. I'm like, homework? This is a vacation. Yeah. So that was the first year uh, of the School of Ministry. And the biggest thing for me was it's really around identity. Uh, we, you don't do miracles. You don't do the supernatural. It's just your nature. Like you're a follower of Jesus, these signs follow them that believe. So it, a lot of it was about cracks in my foundations around who I am as a child of God, that my performance is, is I don't perform in order to obtain value. I perform because I have value. I don't have to get up in the morning and then prove myself to God. I'm already loved, accepted, adored, and connected. I'm not afraid. I get to go into the world not with one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake, but I just get to go for it and know that God is with me and this is going to work out. And even when it doesn't work out, it's going to turn to good. In terms of that shift, when you started to learn more about identity, what was one of the largest takeaways for you? The, the thing that changed everything is you don't know what you don't know until you experience something different. So I remember being on, it was retreat week. So it must have been within the first couple of months. And, uh, you know, there are different people and talked and someone was telling this story, uh, just a crazy, crazy story of how God revealed his nature as a father through their grandfather, unsaved grandfather. And I'm just in, laughing. The next thing you're just crying for this, the, like this uh, unconditional love. And grace, even when this guy just screwed up again and again and again. And out of that, we had to come in. One of the exercises was to do this really simple, like just kind of take some quiet time and, and draw a shield on a page and just ask Holy Spirit, what, 
know, if you were going to have an emblem or a, a logo that identified who you were and who he says you are, what would be on that? What would be the emblem on your shield? And I just instantly had this thought of, well, it's a lion. And so I started to draw this lion. And as I drew it, I, you know, you get to the mouth of the lion, and I drew a lion that was smiling. It, for the first time in my life, that's God, the lion, Aslan. But I didn't realize up until that moment, I'd only viewed God as serious. Andy, don't screw it up. Like never smiling. I'm always trying to please him. Something changed and I realized God is good. He's good all the time. He's loving and affectionate and kind to me. His kindness leads to repentance. So I had this revelation about a good God. That revelation changes everything. No longer walking through life afraid of screwing up, knowing that I can approach him, knowing that I can take risk and failure is not a problem. I'm not talking about moral failure and I'm not talking about intentionally doing stupid stuff. I'm saying taking risk and when it doesn't work, you just get up and keep going. This will work for good. That changes everything I do and the way I approach it. What was one of the first things you did after that revelation? Do you remember? So here's a practical thing of learning what it means to be a child of God. So I grew up in a culture which is kind of just stay quiet and just do what you're told and um, just you keep asking God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And so in the process of God is good and he's a loving father and he's for me, I just had this realization. My kids, they they don't ask me, Dad, what do you want me to do? They they might like when they're a child, like young, they're asking me what should I wear, or I have to you have to clothe them, you have to change their diapers, you have to do everything for them. But as that child grows, they don't come in and say, uh, "What should I wear?" That would mean I failed as a parent. What they start to do is live from the dreams and desires of their heart. So that's a huge key. The second thing is. If your child wants something, if they want a cookie even, they don't hesitate to ask. They don't wait quietly saying nothing and hope that you'll notice. They actually say, Dad, can I have a cookie? And you say, no. Well, 10 minutes later, what are they going to say? They say the same thing again. (laughs) So it's this, oh, the reason I have not is because I ask not. And that's as it pertains to so many different relationships. So it launched me on this journey of, uh, like I'm, it's like be seen and not heard, just serve, and, and then God will promote you. That is true, but when you walk in your identity as a son or a child of God, you start to go after what you know is yours, but it's a risk. So uh, prior to the end of that first year, I was sitting in one of the meetings, and they explained from the front, so 800 students, and it's a three-year program, You could optional second year, third year, the third year program was a class-based program. And so you've got to go through first year, then second year, and then it's a third year and it's a class. But they said, we're changing it around to being a mentor-based program. And there's going to be an opportunity for some of you to skip second year and jump straight into third year. Now, in, in hindsight, I heard they were not supposed to say that, but they did. And so this thought pops in mind, I should intern with Danny Silk. Now, Danny Silk is one of the senior leaders. So my 
my background and culture is you never, ever promote yourself. You never go and put yourself forward like this. But I just had this unusual thought, I should do this. And I tried to reason, why would I do that? He's a, he's a counselor. He's a family-life pastor. I'm not, I like business people. Like, I, like, go and get fixed and then let's go change the world. But he's the fixed people. Like, so I'm trying to learn counseling. I, and none of it made sense to me. But finally, my wife says, well, you should just do something. If, if it's God, go do it. So I reached out, and this was part of the processes, ask. And not with not with some manipulating way and not powerless, but ask. So I emailed Danny and said, hey, Danny, um, you know, I was, and I didn't use that God told me because that's kind of weird as well and manipulating because then you're trying to remove someone's ability to say no. So I just said, hey, I've been – uh, considering the possibility of interning with you, I'm not sure if that's what you do or if that's what I want to do. So almost like the weirdest email ever, you know, <laughs> would it be possible to meet with you and talk about this? And he responded, sure. So I ended up having this meeting with him, not even sure what I'm going to say. Like, do you say, well, I was in this meeting and really helped, heard God say I should talk to you. Like, that's yeah. just... It just gets, it can go really, really weird really fast. So I simply said, Hey, I'm, I'm in this situation and I'd love to talk to you about the possibility of interning. And he said, Well, what's your background? I said, Well, this is what I've done. This, 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 this. I've worked with the bank. I worked in the international consultancy. I've, uh, all these different areas, but the core of it is helping people discover purpose and empower them to live it well. He goes, Wow. Have you read the book Dream Manager by Matthew Kelly? I said, No. He goes, we've been talking about uh, going through this and providing this for our staff. Would you be able to do what you were doing for your clients in New Zealand? Could you do that for our staff at Bethel Church? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I walked out of that meeting realizing that having no idea why I walked into that meeting, but walking out of that meeting realizing the last 15 years of my life prepared me for this. Yes. How incredible. It was. It's like, it's still amazing. But if I hadn't had that revelation that God is good, that hadn't resulted in me putting myself forward and trusting God and I fully understand this, but I'm just going to take a risk and say, this is what I want. I'm not even sure that I want it, but I'm going to go out. I'm going to ask for the cookie and just trust that. He's going to say no if it's a no, and I'm okay with no as well, but I'm just going to ask and do my part. Then then the rest would have been never happened. Mm-hmm. And there's two things you mentioned that I'd love to circle back on. One you just reinforced, and that is just do something. Just ask. Yes. And don't ask with any manipulative intent. Oh, no. Just ask like you'd ask anybody and find out what happens. The yep. other is, and I'd love for you to, expound on this is how do you know, and I put in air quotes, what is yours? How do you figure that out? Very good. There's multiple ways of this. One is there's this really, really good book called Dream Culture by Andy and Jean Mason. And that's effectively what Danny got us to do with the staff at Bethel Church is walking through a process of what are the dreams and desires God's placed on your heart? How do you turn into practical action steps and then deal with the challenges along the way? So you can go through that, but it's you know, he leads us, he guides us by so many different ways. So how do you know? Well, there's this really cool story of Moses. When Moses Moses thought he knew what what to do, and he goes out and he kills an Egyptian, and it's like he kind of the right concept, 
wrong way. Yeah. And that's it's like, okay, so he thinks I've screwed it up. It's all over. Spends 40 years in the wilderness, which, by the way, was him in school. He was in navigation school, learning how to navigate a place where he would 40 years later take um, 3 million Jews. Like, just amazing. Everything, even what he thought was a screw-up, became preparation in the hand of God. So that's the goodness of God. But he finally stands at this burning bush, which is another story altogether, and God says, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and then bring those people back here. And Moses says, you know, I screwed it up last time. Like, I've tried to step out and take, grab something and just do something, and I made a mess. I don't want to step out and screw it up again. How do I know this is true? How do I know this is you? And God says this, well, go and do it, and then when you get back here, then you'll know it was me. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my God. That's this thing, this faith journey, this whole thing around with with faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith is not about talking. Uh, Bonhoeffer is one of my heroes. He was a German theologian who was a part of the assassination attempt on Hitler. And he has this quote, one act of obedience is better than a hundred sermons. It's just that whole thing of follow your conviction, uh, walk in honor, and keep your hands open, like not controlling, not fear-based, but step out, take risk, have a go, and then let's just see what God will do. And as you go, uh, there's, as I love this one in Isaiah, I think it's in Isaiah 42 or somewhere around there, it says, your ears will hear a voice from behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. And this has been the journey of growing in maturity with God is that you don't expect your 40-year-old son to come to you and say, hey, Brian, uh, what should I do with my life? No, you've failed as a parent. The job of a parent is to train up the child in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they don't part from it. So they know what to do. They're going with what's in their heart. The greatest joy of a father is when was your son fully alive. Yes. Is happening, is actually going further than you. That the things that I've struggled with and the insecurities that I've had to battle, that my kids don't have that. They go further, faster, stronger, and longer. And even more so with God. If somebody's asking God, what do you want me to do? And you're hearing nothing. It's probably because God's wanting you to say, well, this is what's in my heart to do. And God says, oh, that's in my heart. I was wondering when you can do that. Like, well, what do I do? Well, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. It's like Jesus, the human being. From Like what good could come from Nazareth? Well, we know the story now. But that's you from wherever you're from with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. So what shall I do? Do good. That's pretty easy. Well, in what field? Well, I don't know. You can choose. Doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. So what's, what's the purpose for my life? Do good and heal all who are oppressed of the devil. That, right now, throughout the world, there are a lot of options. There is so much pain, so much. It's like whether you start a business and serve people, create jobs, 
you, you can, there's so many things. Get into the medical profession and serve people. Do good and heal all who are pressed to the devil because God was with them. It's really easier than we think. But what I'm learning is the more that we unlock people, as this hope deferred makes a heart sick but a desire fulfilled as a tree of life, is that when believers, children of God, get it, own what's in their heart and make the steps to go after that, it's like you cannot help but notice the life that comes out of them. It's the greatest evangelistic tool on the planet is just discover what's in your heart and go after it. And if you don't know, start simply by serving somebody and then simple acts of obedience. And then you'll start to like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And then the more that you do that, it's like, oh my gosh, what if we did this? And you get more and more like, I'm excited now. <laughs> it's like me yesterday. I've, I got to interview. Uh, this this woman who got a billion-dollar business idea. And she's 10 years down the track, and she's between, you know, she's heading now towards 100 million. And I talk to her, and I'm just inspired. And I have this idea. I'm going to pay. I've got three daughters, 14, 17, and 19. I will pay them to listen to this lady. And And then the more I went with that idea, it's like, you know what I want? Oh man, there's so many women, young women that need to hear the story and be inspired and equipped. So very quickly, that simple idea turned into, I've got 12 like women in business uncompromising in their faith, uncompromising in their femininity and uncompromising in business. Like they're, they're killing it. I'm like, I want to grow up with them, let alone putting them in front of my daughters saying, you, don't you hold back, lead, you be the fullest version of you. And so suddenly I've got this, oh my gosh, is that God? Is it me? I don't know, but there is so much life on it. And I've got all these women that are like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And my daughter's like, I'm in. So I'm learning. That's the John 6.63. My words are spirit and their life. So when... Like when he speaks, you come alive. You know, there seems to be this cultural mandate in the church to con to constantly ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? It goes back yeah. to pretty much to the theme of what you've been talking about. And I'll never forget several years ago, I was in a, a meeting and this gentleman said to me, you know, Brian, I feel like the Lord is taking the concept of you asking, what do you want me to do off the table for you? Yeah. And what he's actually asking you now is, what do you want to do? Yeah. That floored me. The whole, that whole concept was like somebody hitting me and pushing me over like a football player. Yeah. And I had to really struggle and work through that concept of not asking the Lord all the time, what do you want me to do? And instead, just yeah. listening to what he's already deposited in my heart as desires and, okay, this is what I want to do. What do you think of that, Lord? Yeah. Then things start getting fired up and get pretty darn exciting. Yeah, and now you're leading, and now you're a mature son, rather than, what do you want me to do? It's like, okay, you're not prepared to lead. I've never heard anyone say from the pulpit, God wants to ask you, what do you want to do? Yeah. Because... There is a sense of responsibility 
in answering that question. It assumes that you have a relationship with Jesus that allows you to have that kind of mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've certainly heard it in in the environment where I am. And, And by all means, the context of this conversation is we never, ever lose a servant heart, period. Jesus is the model. He had everything. He was the mature son. He created the universe, and yet he humbled himself. So there's a whole heap in there. Yes. But yet to go for it, I mean, I love this. And this is what winds me up so much. Like if we could just unlock people to live fully alive, the job will be done. But there's some things that undermine it. A lot of it is uh, Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God. But somehow we've then created this first and second class calling. It's like, no, there's only one kingdom, and it's not an institution called church. It's a kingdom, and it's throughout all the earth, and it's a community of believers who are professors and doctors and mums and dentists and teachers and janitors and CEOs. It's like whatever you do, do it with the best of your ability. Do it under the Lord. It's like we've got to train people to do that. But then look at the life of Jesus. When he started, now he he was 30 years old or 30, that's right, 30 years old. Um, and he's got three years. We know that in hindsight. So he's for 30 years, he's worked in whatever it was, whether he was a carpenter, whether he wasn't. It's like nobody knew him. But suddenly, which tells the whole thing about work. But mm. then he starts and he picks these 12 guys, which I say, you know, at least if he'd picked one woman, it would have been better. But he has these 12 guys, <laughs> they're clueless. And he tells them what to do. Go and do this. Go out two by two. They ask him at the start, what do you want us to do? Tell us what to do. That's normal and acceptable. And that's the process when you start because we learn through obedience and we learn through doing as we're serving, we grow. But that at the, you look at the, the way that he spoke to them at the end of those three years, John 17, John 15. You look at that. What, how did Jesus speak to them at the end of those three years? He says this, ask of me and I will give you. Tell me what to do. Ask of my father anything in my name and I will do it. So what's the point? At the start, he's saying, I'm telling you what to do. Do this, do this, do this. At the end of those three years with Jesus, Jesus says, right, now, guys, tell me what you want me to do. And they didn't even get it. They were still clueless. What if we started to treat people like that? Rather than say, you know, well, you've only walked with Jesus for 12 years. Now you should just be the, you should be the usher. I'm like, oh, please, please, please. Like, no, how can I help you be everything God's called you to be? How can I serve you as as pastors and leaders? What if we did that? And it's like, oh my gosh, you've got a dream to actually engage in racial reconciliation in the city, not from a church platform, but actually in a city. Brilliant. How can I help you? How can we support you? How can we get behind you to help that happen? Uh, you want to start a business that's going to create jobs for ex-cons? What a great, noble thing to do. How can we get behind you and help you that rather than trying to fill out buildings what if we filled the city and that then becomes just the most exciting thing on the planet 
<laughs> I'm totally excited listening to you. It's such a, a shift, isn't it? Yep. Currently, Andy, what is it that you're involved in? It's called what? I lead heaven in business, which is the greatest experiment on the planet. Um, while I was doing that first year school of ministry, I I loved it. I mean, we we would, it very much was great theme, great learning. But I was like, this is great. You know, primarily they focused on healing the sick and bringing revival. I'm like, well, what about the city? What about the business people? And so someone said to me, well, will you do something? I'm like, well, what will I do? <laughs> so I got connected with a business person. It was outside of school time. So it was just my own time. And I was just like, what's possible if we partner with God in the workplace? Are the miracles just excluded for, are they exclusive for pastors and Sundays? Or what, it, what would it look like in the marketplace where Jesus reversed corruption and multiplied resources and turned things around? So we just started this experiment and eventually called it Heaven and Business. And that's grown to uh, quite a significant movement of people all over the world now partnering with God in their place of work, building excellent business, and then influencing the cities where they serve. And that's that's what we call Heaven and Business. As you lead Heaven and Business, share with me the biggest challenge that comes before you frequently with the people that you minister to, the business owners? The biggest challenge is me and my own insecurities and fears and avoiding confrontation. And I just want to run my own business and not lead others. All of those, that's my head space. It's like, no, Andy, you've got your business and I've called you to lead this as well. So it's like, ah, oh, I read this book about marriage. It's called Sacred Marriage. It says, if you want to serve Jesus the best, stay single. If you want to become like Jesus the best, get married. Because <laughs> you, you learn love, love is not when you like, you just like, woohoo, this awesome person, look how gorgeous I am. No, it's when you disagree, it's when it's difficult. So it's the same. If you want to serve Jesus the best, just have a soul, be a solo entrepreneur. Don't have any employees. If you want to become like Jesus, now, start a business and you're going to employ 100 people, 200 people, 1,000 people, because you're going to have lots of opportunities to grow in character and love. That's, that's so, the truth. And they're the same with leading people. But the biggest challenge in, uh, in leading other business people into what we do is probably the core of it is the greatest strength of a successful business person is vision. Vision and strategy. That is why they succeed in business. And that is why they don't need Jesus. So we find God-loving, God-fearing business people that have a gift of business and just have no need of God. So they've reduced God to an activity in their quiet time or an activity where they serve on Sunday. But there's two separate worlds. There's my spiritual life and there's my business life. And my business life, the Christian business person is reduced to a set of principles rather than a demonstration of power. And so we just connect those two words together, which usually is a bit bumpy and scary, and then light it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> that is the fun where you get – I had a, a businessman from Canada come to one of our conferences 
he comes up to me the first day and said, Andy, I just want you to know I'm only here because I'm embracing my opposite. I'm a skeptic. I did a leadership test and it told me that I'm a reality-based leader. And for me to grow, I need to embrace my opposite, which is a faith-based leader. <laughs> so I'm only here because I'm embracing my opposite. Thanks for being honest. Like, yeah, I, I actually really respect yeah. that. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I'd be fascinated to know how you experienced this over the next three days. Well, by the third day, he comes to me and says, Andy, at the start of the week, I didn't, I didn't know I had a soul. And now I feel like my soul is on fire. Oh. I've got so much vision. And that, like we hear that story. He went back to Canada. Uh, it's an HR recruitment company that his family owns. His VP of sales is unsaved. Um, they were in a lawsuit, as in they were suing another company. But that guy goes home and had this conviction, I need to let the lawsuit go. I need to walk away. Just forgive them. So he tells his VP, the VP goes, you crazy. There's no way. No, we're not doing that. No, this is nuts. We, this is like, this is a couple hundred thousand dollars. No way. And he says, we'll do it. I'm the boss. You do what I told you to do. So they cancel it. A month later, he's in the VP's office and the VP saying, you know what? We've had the best month of sales in the history of the company. <laughs> he sits back and he says, it must be the karma. It must be the karma from, from letting go that, that lawsuit, walking away from that lawsuit, shaking his head. As he says that, the phone rings and it's their lawyer. And the lawyer says, Hey guys, I know you pulled out of this lawsuit, but that company that you were suing, I've never seen this before, but they've actually written out a check they want to give you anyway. <laughs> and the, the VP's just got his mouth wide. I'm sure. Yeah. So. I love it. I love skeptics. God is so good with skeptics. He went out of his way with Thomas. So it's like, yeah, don't be afraid of skeptics. Don't be afraid of that. It's like just step by step, show, show them. God's big enough for that. That's such a great story. Thank you. How can people get in touch with you, Andy, and find out more about the ministry you're involved in? So heaveninbusiness.com is that they can jump on there. And I mean, the beauty is right now is we have a series of in-person events, obviously in Reading, which is not the easiest place to get to. But we have a, an online platform uh, where people can walk with us and we literally give you foundations of God at work, how to build excellent business with God, like a demonstration of that, and then influencing a city. And uh, right now we've the events that we do have, we've got online executive retreats, which has blown our mind of what's possible. And it, we're doing our first ever entirely virtual conference coming up at the start of September. And that's going to be crazy exciting. And the, the opportunities and openings of that, I'm super, super looking forward to. So this whole COVID thing has really lit up your creativity and opened a ton of other doors, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, now, don't get me wrong, it's been really painful. So we canceled three events uh, and made a financial loss for that for the year to the end of July of $40,000. So it's been painful, uh, like I'm having to look and adjust my staff. So that's been really painful. But in the middle of it, I'm realizing, I heard God say, don't shrink back, don't draw back, don't hold back. And I said, 
I'm like, well, if you look at me, like, <laughs> it feels like that. Look what we're doing. Look, look how I'm adjusting staff, looking how I've, I've released some of my office space because we don't have the budget to pay for it because we, you know, we, we generate revenue for everything we do and I don't have the revenue like I did last year. And, uh, and, I, and I sense the Lord saying, no, that's not shrinking back. That's pruning. And I'm like, wow, it sure feels the same. And he's, and what's the difference? And the phrase was intentional. You're being intentional. You've got a vision. You're going forward. And that's what I see is happening is the invitation to prune. And it's hard and it's painful. But what I'm seeing happen is as I listen, as I get more clear, I'm not changing the subject. I am changing the delivery. And I'm finding his faithfulness and multiplying our reach and influence in spite of not doing what I would have loved to have done and what I'm used to doing, these in-person activities, we're finding a multiplication of the ability and, and so much of it is in my thinking that's been so limited to what's possible in the space of influencing, communicating, discipling people over, over a screen. That's fantastic. I'd like to finish up by asking you to pray for our listeners, please. Oh, I'd love to. And continually pray for myself. It's like I, I'm on a journey of learning what it means to partner with God in all of life. And if I could be anything of an inspiration to anyone else, it's just recognizing that it's a journey, it's not a destination. So, Father, I thank you for everyone listening to this call. Uh, thank you for wherever we're at, whether we're a skeptic or we don't believe anything whether we are full on running in you and doing the best that we know how and yet things aren't working, wherever we're at on that journey, I pray encouragement. Thank you that you're the God of all comfort. So I just release comfort right now to every person right where they're at. And I pray, Lord, the greatest gift in business is wisdom, innovation, idea, creativity. So Jesus, you are the spirit of wisdom. So I release a spirit of wisdom that literally these listeners would have ideas, thoughts, while they're asleep, while they're awake, while they're at work, while they're at home, while they're on the lawnmower. With all these places, you're the God who loves the work of our hands when we take the work of our hands and make it worship. So I just ask that you release a spirit of wisdom, the discernment to see to the heart of the matter, wisdom to know what to do. And then finally, I just release a spirit of encouragement. Just declare, you can do this. God is with you more than you realize. He's closer than your skin and nearer than the air that you breathe. So, Father, I just speak that supernatural courage to just like they would hear like the angels in heaven cheering them on, saying, let's go, you can do this. That all of heaven is calling you, shouting you on, saying, you can do this. Jesus has paid for it. So, Father, thank you for this. Thank you for the call. Thank you for all that you're doing. And we just choose to just acknowledge that you are our source of increase. You are our source of hope and confidence. And we love and appreciate you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy, for being on the program. Wonderful talking with you today. Oh, you're welcome. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. 
Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.